Hello everyone and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 115. I'm Bervin Hondo alongside Kyle Betts. It's just after 2 o'clock here on the West Coast on August 24th. How are you doing, Kyle? Doing well, Brevin. Great to be back here on Down the Line and get down into another week of uh, what's happened all throughout sports. And uh, it's picking up, Brevin. We got the final week of preseason that is starting today, actually. You're going to see Anthony Richardson and the Colts play. You got a couple other teams uh, competing uh, today. You got games tomorrow as well, all throughout the weekend. Of course, you got some baseball going on. Um, Plenty of other things that we're going to get down into here. Yeah, plenty of things going on. Like you mentioned, we're going to kick things off here in the Fast Five. And point number one, it's the FIFA Women's World Cup. The Spaniards, they won the FIFA Women's World Cup this year, defeating England 1-0 um, back on Sunday. Back on Sunday. Yeah, Olga Carmona with the goal early on in uh, the match that was uh, ultimately the match winner, a great strike into uh, the corner of the net. And uh, I-, I think the craziest thing about all of this, Brevin, you know, you, you see uh, what- what's happened really since this FIFA World Cup final. I mean, w- when you think about the, the Spanish team, Olga Camarona, like I said, she scored that game-winning goal. Well, just hours uh, beforehand, actually, her father died, and uh, she didn't even know until after the game. So uh, definitely uh, a, a tough moment there for her. You, you can only imagine, right? And so, um, you know, to, to be on top of the world in one regard, and just to hear that thing is probably so tough for her. Uh, but she said, you know, that uh, she knows that he, he was watching and that uh, he's proud of her, you know. Uh, to have that perspective, I think for her, for her was fantastic and such a big moment and such a big game because she, she ultimately won that for her country. And two, I, I think the other big thing that has come from this is, uh, the problematic antics that the, um, president of the Spanish Federation of Soccer, um, you know, really did all throughout this tournament, uh, that were, uh, completely evident all throughout. I mean, he, he was put on blast by, you know, Spanish players, uh, Spanish media, and uh, ultimately news coming out today that he's resigning because of that. So you're not only going to see, you know, just this, this big win resonate so deep throughout Spain, but too, a lot of change is going to be made within the Spanish uh, football federation there. Yeah, plenty of movement, especially as we talked about last week with the U.S. Women's National Team and um, their head coach resigning or um, parting ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lago Andonovsky parting ways last week, which we brought up. So a lot of men went with two really good teams, Um, you know, less than 12 months now before next year's Olympics. All right. Point number two, we go, we go, we talked some WNBA here. We continue talking some women's sports where Las Vegas aces, uh, the two-time MVP, Asia Wilson, tied the WA, WNBA single, single game record on Tuesday with 53 points in a 112-100 victory over the Atlanta Dream. Uh, this was uh, at home at Mitchell Obalter Arena in Las Vegas. Yeah, wow. I mean, uh, to see her come out on top with, you know, uh, tying this record set by uh, uh, Liz Cambridge back in 2018, I believe. 
fantastic for her to do such. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road she actually breaks her own record. And and not only is she going to, you know, uh, get past that, that tie mark of 53 points, like you just mentioned, I think she could even go further from that. So uh, this is not the last you're ever going to hear from Asia Wilson here on down the line. I can guarantee you that. And uh, what, what she's been able to do, you know, bringing a championship to that city. Um, it, it's been huge for the game of basketball and, uh, she's definitely one of the more dynamic players just in general who who plays basketball. And um, it, it's astounding to see her, her accomplishment list, you know, being 26 or 27 years old, you know, be so long and, and that's going to continue to grow. Asia Wilson saw 16 of 23 from the floor, including 20 of 21 at the free throw line and made her only uh, three point attempt. Uh, also added seven rebounds. Mm-hmm. Um and four block shots um and thirty three minutes of play um in that twelve point victory as you know this is um an aces team that's twenty nine and four and has a three and a half game lead right now over the New York Liberty oh. uh for the best record in the WNBA. Yeah, she is a team player, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. It was the first overall pick. Um, in 2018, by the Aces in South Carolina alum. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on to number three. Last week, we talked about Jim Harbaugh and his three game suspension being removed by the NCAA. Well, earlier this week, the University of Michigan self imposed a three game suspension on uh, Coach Harbaugh. That was due to those uh the suspension was due to allegations during the covid dead period yeah i mean you see some violations in regards to recruiting get punished and some kind of get left untouched and here in this case this is kind of been coming for jim harbaugh just because this has kind of been in the talks for quite some time now it's actually happening you know you you consider some of these opponents you know for michigan's uh, first three games of the season, I believe two of the teams are UNLV and Bowling Green. I know there's someone else, but really the, these are teams that are non-threats to Michigan either way. So how much is this suspension going to impact the team? Well, from maybe a little bit from a leadership standpoint, but other than that, I, I think, you know, the amount of talent they have, they should easily run through these teams. But uh, yeah, yeah, interesting to see that uh, Harbaugh actually got punished because of this. Yeah, so we will not be seeing Jim Harbaugh on the timelines for those three games. But uh, we're going to move on now to point number four. The final week of the 2023 Little League World Series is currently taking place in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, in a tournament that started out with 18 teams, nine from the United States and nine from outside of the United States. Teams are just down to six as two of them have um two of them have secured their spots for the um their uh US final and the international final so far. You got the team from Texas in the southwest region from the southwest region playing in the US final. They will face the winner of the Northwest and West teams. Uh, later today, that team from the West is from El Segundo, California. So right in 
LA, that Northwest team, um, that Northwest team from Seattle, Washington so far. And then you've got on the uh, uh, international final, you got the team from Asia Pacific in the finale right now. That team from Asia Pacific is from Chinese Taipei. And they are going to face the winner of the Caribbean team and Team Mexico. That team from Mexico, from Tijuana, Mexico, just uh, south of the U.S. international border. So those two teams will face off to be the winner of Asia Pacific. That game is uh, tonight as well. And then the final will be on the U.S. final. And the international final will be on... Saturday before the uh, uh, Little League World Series championship game um, on Sunday to wrap things up. Mm. There you go. Yeah, looking forward to this for Evan. I mean, so many great teams involved, like you mentioned, but, you know, we got to be hometown favorites here, essentially, of of El Segundo, right? They're the closest one to us, and uh, they're representing California, so obviously we're going to be rooting for them, and uh, yeah, it, it's been a great tournament throughout. I've been seeing little tidbits here and there on Twitter. Um, obviously, there's always so many viral moments that the Little League World Series produces. So great to see that happening here once again in 2023. Yeah, even last night um, when that team from El Segundo played, playing um, Tennessee of the Southeast region, that was a kind of back-and-forth ball game. It kind of got a little... Um, Got a little, uh, a lot of adrenaline within that game, but the U.S. did prevail five to three, um, in order to move on into the, uh, U.S. semifinals, uh, before t- before the finale of the U.S. portion of the bracket. All right, we go from one, uh, championship down to another, where we've got on the PGA Tour the Tour Championship is taking place in Atlanta, Georgia. The race for the FedEx Cup uh, ends in Atlanta. So far right now, you've got, uh, as we speak, at 2.12, 2.11 in the afternoon on the West Coast. Scotty Scheffler has a lead of just one uh, at 11 under par in the starting strokes format. Um, you've got Colin Morikawa and Keegan Bradley at 10 under par, um, tied for second in addition to Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa shot 9 under 61, Keegan Bradley 7 under 63. Also adding a 7 under 63 on day was Adam Shank, who's now up to 8 under par, um, who started the day at 1 under. So we've seen these players, good good golf, uh, building up the leaderboard despite being many shots back of Scotty Scheffler before we started the day. Yeah, I mean, this is this is really close, as you mentioned, Brevin, and I think that's just the expectation when you get into, you know, tournaments like this. And uh, like you mentioned, a Colin Carla, I mean, just coming out really strong. You got Keegan Bradley, like you mentioned, um, and two, Xander Shoffley is is trying to compete right now here on this uh, uh, tour championship here. So, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing how the rest of this plays out. Xander Shoffley right now tied for eighth. Um, started the day at three under after uh, where he placed in the FedEx Cup standings. 
And yeah, shot three under on the day, had a better back nine than the front nine. Uh recorded four birdies in the final seven holes, including the par five eighteenth. Um so good to see Dander um get a birdie on the final hole heading into tomorrow's second round action of four. But yeah, Colin Warren Kyle continuing his strong play and um all of his birdies that he had. How many birdies was it? Seven? Yeah, seven birdies. Wow. Added an eagle on the day. So those seven birdies obviously helping his uh relief fund to help those in Maui from those wildfires that we brought up um a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, fantastic. Right. We might give it to our champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic to see him succeeding and adding just to his total. All right. We're going to move on now. We'll probably give an update on the Torch Championship in a little bit, maybe towards the end of our show. But, but we're going to move on to some Major League Baseball. We had some news come out first. We'll get to the Shohei Otani news in a bit. But first, on Tuesday, Chicago, the Chicago White Sox announced that Executive Vice President Ken Williams and General Manager Rick Hahn have been relieved of their responsibilities. Yeah, I think this is a move that had to be made. I mean, the White Sox were a team just a couple of years ago, really, that were expected to make a lot of waves in the AL Central. That never happened. And, you know, ever since they've kind of just been stuck in a position where they just can't get over that hump. And uh, once again, this season, you know, fighting below the 500 mark, uh, I think this was a move that had to be made. Yeah, I mean, we've said it before the last couple of years, how much of a disappointment this team has been and it's not just on the field but it's off the field and you see the amount of injuries that have taken place with this ball club and you've even seen players like or coaches like Tony Tony LaRusso come in and try and um, solve it but hasn't been able to um, get over the top this uh, this duo uh, Han and Williams are part of that 2005 championship team um, that had players like Paul Canerco on that team and um, these championship-winning teams. And so um, it's just been a difficult season, especially for how especially how much of a weaker division that American League Central is. And we thought that this was the team that this American League Central, that this White Sox team had, you know, was able to compete, uh, you know, not at the top and probably with a good sizable league, but that just, didn't happen um going 500 last year 81 and 81 not making the playoffs um 50 and 77 so far this year through 127 games it's just um in Pedro Griefall's first season so um yeah it's just been difficult um seeing that you know this was a White Sox team um won the division um two years ago you know i think that gave us a lot of motivation from that but it was just last year was the example where they could they just kind of fell back and then this year taking more steps back mm-hmm. all right uh we move on now from the white Sox. we move to washington where at about 11 38 pacific time barry Silverger, uh hopefully i got that last name correct of the washington post reported that the 2019 World Series MVP and former number one overall pick in 2009, Steven Strasburg, also a former ASIC, will retire in an announcement next month. 
uh, Strasburg has been has not been able to heal completely from thoracic outlet surgery. Yeah, this is uh, I don't know if it's devastating necessarily here, Brevin, but uh, it, it's definitely disappointing if you could say that at the very least. Like you said, our beloved Aztec um, just hasn't been able to uh, get back on the mound ever since that World Series win and. He accomplished that, I believe, when he was 31, 32 years old. And at that point, Brevin, I mean, the contract that he signed was absolutely ludicrous following that World Series win, of course, in which he won MVP, like you mentioned. Similarly to Anthony Rendon, actually, who, who ended up getting a big deal with the Angels. But uh, in this case, Steven Strasburg injured uh, really pretty much since that World Series win. Just nothing he could do about it. And... uh it's an unfortunate ending to uh, his career, but um, I guess you could say, you know, when when he really finished out strong, he, he did it when he when it mattered most, and uh, he had a long, prosperous career, uh, all, all things aside. And uh, now it's going to be great to see what's next for him. Yeah, Stephen Strasburg, that I think was seven-year, $245 million contract to remain. Oh. In Washington, he's still going to get that money because he is retiring because of medical reasons. So, wow. Um, mm-hmm. wow. How do you retire just because of non-medical reasons? You, uh, you would not get paid that money. It's, it's wow, that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so unfortunate to hear. Um, obviously, we'll have more news once this official news comes out from Strasburg himself or from the actual team um, in the Nationals. But, all right, we're going to move on now to Fair or Foul, our regular segment of three up, three down. Kyle, we'll kick it off with our three up. Who do you have first? Yeah, let's do it here, Revan. Uh, let's get to our three up. Uh, I'm going to start with J-Rod here. Julio Rodriguez, he's had a really good past week in the major leagues over the span of that week. He's gone from hitting 255 all the way to 277. Um, great to see what he's been able to do. Two home runs during that span. He's had a slew of stolen bases as well. And during that span, too, important to fo- point out that he had a four RBI game against the Royals as a part of the opener of a four-game series. He closed that series with another four, uh, five RBI game in which he had five hits. And he's just been tearing it up lately, especially against the Royals and Astros. And so he, he's going on my list of three up. That was a good option there. Julio Rodriguez, he had set a major league record with 17 hits in four games. So a little over four, that's about 4.1 hits per game wow. based on the average and the math. Obviously, you can't get point one hits. Um, he's just the second player in major league history to have four consecutive games with four hits or more. Mm. So that was part of the history as he went on to be named American League Player of the Week um, on Monday. That's a good selection there. All right, for me, um, I'm going to go Mookie Betts here. Um, over his last, over the last 30 days, Mookie Betts has been hitting four, hold on, four, 52, an OPS of 1,300, 
and he's hitting 38 for 84, eight doubles, seven homers, 20 RBIs, um, uh, three stolen bases as well. So Mookie Betts getting it done with the bat, a big reason why uh, this Dodgers team has had that success um, over that span um, to be that be where they're at right now in the division. That's a really good pick. Thanks. All right, Kyle, who else you got for the uh, your three up, three down? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to choose uh, his, his fellow teammate. I'm going to go with uh, the new Dodger, Eddie Rosario. Still fitting into this lineup here, but 10 hits over the course of the last five games. He's on a five-game hit streak right now. His average has soared from about 244 to 263 over the course of the past almost 10 games or so now. So uh, a, a really good improvement for him uh, since he showed up to L.A. I mean, obviously, he, he had a couple big moments defensively when he first became a Dodger. But now he's doing it at the plate. He's proven his worth um, as to why he was sent to L.A., and he's fitting in nicely for this Dodgers team that is getting production from essentially everyone right now. Yeah, good selection there with Ahmed Rosario um, right there. All right. Uh, for me, I'm going to go – I'm going to take a team here. I'm going to go to the Toronto Blue Jays. And they've won 16 of their last, I think, 11 games, I think it is. Or 16 of their last 11. That makes no sense. Um <laughs> They've they've won ten of their last sixteen games, um, and the key for them they've been getting it done with the bullpen pretty much since the return of Jordan Romano who is who got injured during the All Star game he's been returned and uh, um during that span uh their bullpen uh major league best one point five three ERA over fifty three innings pitched so. I got the Toronto Blue Jays here, um, currently um, 70 and 57, and currently hold one of the wild card spots right now. The Toronto Blue Jays um, are um, been playing, just playing good baseball right now. And so I got the Blue Jays here um, at this selection. Like how, who else you got for your who's your final pick of your three? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna go with the Arizona Diamondbacks here actually. And I know they're a team that has kind of been up and down lately, but I think right now they're on the up. I mean, they've reclaimed that uh position uh back in second right now, actually tied for second with the Giants in the NL West. Same record as them right now, 66 and 61. But they are 8-2 in their last 10 games. They've been getting some good production at the plate and on the mound as well. I think they had a really big win the other night, which was Monday. They had a Tommy Pham walk-off, so that was huge. Um, and obviously, Brevin, you know all too well that they took the series against uh, Pham's former team in the Padres as well. So uh, they're looking pretty good right now, and uh, they're coming off a couple big wins in a two-game series against the Rangers. Yeah, that's a good selection there. All right, my final pick here. I'm going to go Detroit Tiger from the Detroit Tigers and a player who has a 20-game on-base streak, mm. and that would be uh, Kerry Carpenter. Um, 
has hit three to three eighty nine over his last twenty games. Um, nine home runs, nineteen RBIs, um, including a game time grand slam yesterday. Um, yeah, Gary Kerry Carpenter's been hitting the ball well and right in that middle of that lineup for AJ Hinch and went three for five on Monday um, against the Cubs in a seven, six loss, but um, you're still seeing him continue to hit the ball um, really well um, in that lineup. So I got Kerry Carpenter here to round out. Um, this three up uh, includes Mookie Betts and Toronto Blue Jays for me. And then Kyle has the D-backs, Ahmed Rosario, and Julio Rodriguez. All right, let's go to our three down. Um, Kyle and I, two of these three picks, Kyle uh, and I have the same. So, Kyle, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Yankees here. This is a pretty obvious choice. They uh, were on... Their worst losing streak since, like, 1982 or something. And, uh, yeah, they they just haven't been a good baseball team at all. Their record is indicative of that. Uh, Ten straight losses, I believe, until Aaron Judge shows up yesterday and just clears the ball out of the yard. So, on three separate occasions, obviously. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this team... Hasn't been able to figure it out as of late. I mean, clearly the talent is still there, but uh, just like some other teams that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, they haven't been good. Yeah, for me, I also have the Yankees. They're 6-14 and 14 over their last 20 games, 1-9 in their last 10. You mentioned that nine-game losing streak, Kyle, but they almost reached that 10-game losing streak. It would have been their first it would have been the Yankees' first 10-game losing streak since 1913. Wow. Okay, so but, yeah, nine-game losing streak. But, uh-huh. wow. Yeah. But Aaron Judge came to the rescue with his first three-homer game of his career. Hit two of them off McKenzie right. Orr. Yep, there you go. But still got the Yankees. Um, Brian Cashman said, I can't remember his is official word, but um, Brian Cashman, the GM, I'm looking it up right now. Um, I think he said it was, um, this is they're gonna be, um, doing a lot of assessing, um, this offseason. He said that yesterday to, um, the Yankee media that was in attendance for, um, his, pro- uh, uh, his press conference yesterday. Yeah, we'll have to see exactly. Mhm. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Who else um, do you have here among your three down? Yeah, I'm going with the Texas Rangers. They have lost six in a row. Uh, came out strong against the Angels to start that series, but they ended up losing the last one. And ever since, they've lost three games to the Brewers and two games to the Diamondbacks. Now they embark on a new series here against the Twins on the road. It's a four-gamer, and of course, that's going to be tough, as always, because you're playing on the road, and in this case, you're playing the AL Central leader. Yeah, I also have the Rangers as well. You know, they've lost, they've won uh, just three of their last ten games, 
and uh, including six in a row. And what that's really done also is it's opened up opportunity for teams like the Mariners and teams like the Astros to remain in the hunt for the AOS crown when we thought this Rangers team was going to take this crown, take this AOS division crown with ease. But not right now, both the Mariners and the Astros are just one and a half games back of the division. And both teams, um, both the Mariners and the Astros um, hold the second and third spots of the AO wildcard standings with a game, uh, one game lead on the Toronto Blue Jays. There you go. All right, Kyle, who else do you have among your three down? Yeah, I'm I'm going to take two Padres here at the plate. And I, I think the reason why I say just at the plate is because, I mean, these guys are on, like, highlight reels every night, like, making flashy defensive plays like it's absolutely nothing. But I, I think in order for the San Diego Padres to, you know, just try to put some, some more pressure on their opponents, I mean, it all comes down to what happens at the plate. And in regards to these two players, which are – uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Xander, Bo- Xander Bogarts, I, I think these two guys really uh, need to continue to put that pressure on at the plate. I mean, over the course of the last week, you got Fernando Tatis um, only in, in 22 at-bats uh, get two hits, and over that span, 10 strikeouts for him as well. You got Xander Bogarts during that span in 26 at-bats, just three hits. So, um they have contributed here and there with a couple of RBIs, but I, I think really, uh, Revan, you could sympathize with this. Um, you want to see those star players just really step up at the plate. I mean, you got, you got guys like, I mean, Hassan Kim, I mean, seemingly as of late, he's been one of those guys that, that has been doing it. You want to see them emulate guys like him. Yeah, it was good to see Xander Bogarts get that big two-run homer yesterday. Yeah. Um, and- in the four nothing win, but you need to be able to find a way to continue that into the next day, into the day after, and that's been part of the really the whole inconsistency from this entire roster um, in order to put wins together. And especially when you think about the importance of Xander Bogarts, you know he's that player in that lineup at that number five spot, who's you know that transition point from when you got Kim, you got um, Kim Tatis. Soto Machado, those four, whichever order it is, you know, he's the one that Bridget Bogarts is the one that bridges that gap to that bottom of the lineup. And, um, you know, so it's important for Bogarts and he hasn't really been able to succeed at that so far. Luckily, he was able to come up with a big two run homer, like I mentioned yesterday, but he's got to be able to continue when the Padres go to Milwaukee and they go to St. Louis. All right. For me, I've got a player as well and i'm gonna go dansby swanson here from the chicago cubs although this cubs team has been doing really well dansby swanson's been struggling at the plate hitting just 174 um over the last month um that's 92 at bats for dansby swanson just 16 hits um he's got three doubles seven homers 22 RBIs, but um, getting on base just 26% of the time over the last month, um, and an OPS of south of 700. So 
it's been a little bit of a stump here for James B. Swanson over the last sleuth of games here. Um, yeah, average all the way down to um, around 250. Mm. So it's been a little bit difficult for um, the uh, new Cubs shortstop as of late. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's our three up, three down. Kyle's three down. He had the Kyle and I both had the Yankees and the Rangers. I also had Dan Sebi Swanson. Kyle had the uh, duo Fernando Tatis Jr. and Xander Bogarts um, offensively. All right, we're going to move on to the Angels. And it's safe to say it's been a pretty busy of a news cycle for the Angels. They lost two or three from the Rangers. Um, they get swept at home by the Reds and then on Tuesday and in the doubleheader Wednesday that saw um a um a Dele Dele Cruz a Dele Cruz um get a career high six RBIs it's hasn't gone the best of ways right now for the Angels. Yeah, not not at all, Brevin. I mean, they keep losing and they keep losing. Uh, it's the worst they looked all season. It's now the worst record they've had all season. And uh, yeah, I mean. Like you mentioned, they just can't find the production at the plate. The guys are still getting hurt. That, we're going to touch on that in a second. But um, I, I think, too, just the issue is just this lineup. I mean, just because of these injuries, I, I think a big problem is you haven't really been able to really just establish a certain structure in, into your build to how you want your lineup to look every single day just because it's it's so fluid, everything's moving. I mean, you're having guys getting called up. And uh, Phil Nevin has definitely had a, a lot to kind of juggle this season as manager. Yeah, so you see April 18th, um, Anthony Rendon was put on the 60-day IL. Um, CJ Crum was put on the 10-day IL. You had uh, the Angels called up 2023 first-round pick. Noah Chanel selected from Double A Rock City, the Trash Pandas. Um, you saw Jimmy Herget and Jordan Adams get optioned to the Salt Lake Bees. So, full day of transactions um, last week, Friday. Yeah, August 18th, definitely a, a busy day for this Angels team. All those moves, you know, I think pretty indicative of, of what I was just talking about. And, you know, how, how this roster has been changing a lot. And uh, I think a big part of that, Brevin, that, that necessarily has been the case is Anthony Rendon. I, I think, you know, every Angels fan in America would have told you that after they saw him go down with that uh, shin issue, they weren't going to see him the rest of the season. Now that's pretty much the case. So uh, Anthony Rendon, yet another disappointing year. Nothing new with that for the most part. Uh, I was surprised to see them call up their first-round pick. I mean, this early, Brevin. And uh, you think about no- Nolan Chenal, what he's been able to do so far. I mean, he has looked like the hitter that this team pretty much needs right now. I mean, coming from Florida Atlantic, um, such a, a, a storied uh, history there with, with what he was able to achieve at that school. But um, now with the Angels in, in six games, I mean, He's been able to put together seven hits. He's hitting 368 right now. Um, he drove in his first run just the other night uh, as an angel. So uh, it's been good things out of him. I, I think he's been kind of the bright spot out of all these moves. And 
uh, Anthony Rendon is uh, just kind of the what's new kind of result of everything here. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been interesting to see, you know, seeing an 11th round pick who last year was playing for Florida Atlantic. Now 12 months later, or actually, who was playing for Florida Atlantic seven months ago. Yeah. Um, as they get ready for their season, went through the minor leagues, hit 833 in single A in the Inland Empire in the California <laughs> League, went five for six. They say, let's call him up. Let's get him to double A. And he goes, he hits 339, 20 for 59. They said, okay, if you can hit that well, if you can play that well in double A, then the motto is you can play well in the big leagues. And I don't remember the last time I've seen a player get drafted in July and then be with that team six weeks later. Yeah. Not even six weeks later, five weeks later. Pretty ridiculous, right? But that, that's just what the Angels are doing, and they're desperate, and so they, they went and they made that move, and I don't know. It's looking like it's kind of paying off right now, even though it, it's early. You don't want to necessarily uh, get be the judge of anything too early here, but yeah, he, he looks like a good ball player just based off what he's been able to do in the minors, like you said, and, and now with the Halos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking up Nolan Chenal, the top tweets on Twitter. Sarah Langs had tweeted yesterday that uh, Chenal is the first rookie to reach safely eight-plus times in a doubleheader since Hideki Matsuyama, uh, Hideki Matsuyama, Hideki Matsui, he did it nine times on June 28, 2003, um, even though the Angels lost both of the doubleheader. Um Let's see. He had a five game. He has had a five game hitting streak to start his big league career. Um, uh, he had an RBI single yesterday. Became the first Angels rookie to start his career with a six game hitting streak since David Eckstein. Uh, uh reached nine games in two thousand one. Oh. Um. Yeah, it's um crazy to think about that. Just. <laughs> Five weeks earlier, he was getting drafted. Yeah. But, yeah, it's interesting to see. And then, um, on Tuesday, we saw the return of Mike Trout. Yeah, you see the return of Mike Trout. He gets a hit. And, you know, it's like, okay, all's well. Great to see him back out there. Until yesterday, when there's a doubleheader, and he doesn't play in the doubleheader. And you're like, where's Mike Trout? Well, come to find out. He's back on the IL, Brevin. He's he's back. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he went on the IL as part of announcements made by general manager Perry Benazian last night. Announced that, that Trout was returning to the IL. And uh, Angels starting pitcher slash DH Shohei Otani has a torn ulnar collateral ligament. And also it was... Um, Otani will be shut down from pitching for the remainder of the year. Yeah, he he started yesterday, I believe, in Game One, and mm-hmm. he uh threw the first inning, but uh looked at Phil Nevin was shaking his head. Uh, they said he wasn't feeling any pain at first, and it was just tiredness, and that's why he skipped his previous start. Well, uh, 
No, turns out it was a torn UCL, Brevin. So now we're waiting to see if he will need Tommy John surgery a second time. Uh, obviously, this impacts so much, not only with the Angels, uh, just because of, of them losing now and, and them now not having him uh, as a pitcher available for the remainder of the year, but two, now for Shohei Otani as he enters free agency, now what is his value because of the uncertainty of uh, a, sur- a surgery perhaps or uh, just a, a long-term recovery? We don't know any of that. So, yeah, there, there's uh, a lot of uh, different factors that are going to be affected by this this injury here, Brevin, and uh, it's unfortunate to see for Shohei uh, just because it is an MVP caliber. It is an MVP season, not even MVP caliber. He is going to win the MVP, and uh, he uh, could have done so much more even with, you know, about a month and a half left of the season. I think what's also interesting, too, you know, as we talk about this UCL and from a hitting perspective, we just saw Bryce Harper get through – Tommy John surgery and rehab in I think three months. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how much of that's going to come into play if Shohei Otani is a free agent and these teams say, let's go after Otani. He'll be ready to hit by spring training comes around if he has Tommy John now. I'm going to focus on him being a hitter. And then maybe by the all-star break, if he, if his arm feels good enough, you know, he starts pitching and, and during, simulated games um maybe an occasional pitching start in the minor leagues yeah Otani could be pitching by um 2025 that could be a possibility if Shohei Otani wants to continue pitching in major league baseball yeah so that's the big question here Brevin and uh we do know that he is set to play tomorrow actually he's going to dh tomorrow for the angels um my question is how how often is he going to do that because we we know in the season after his rookie year which was 2019 when he initially had Tommy John surgery that he he hit all throughout the 2019 campaign so uh that's the big question now is uh uh what's going to happen and uh, it, it looks like Otani's going to serve as DH according to Alden Gonzalez of ESPN as of now. Yeah, and I bring up Bryce Harper too. And when you think about his numbers, uh, Bryce Harper came back in early May. So he missed about the first six weeks of the year. Bryce Harper's you know, been hitting about 300 um, since he made his season debut in May. Um, 12 home runs. 348 at-bats, been an everyday player, either the DH, um, or he started learning to play first base. So, uh, um, yeah, you're starting to see, you know, the possibilities of what could happen. And we talk about, obviously, I don't think Shohei Otani is going to be playing first base, but it just gives you an idea of, of what can, the quick rehab in terms of the hitting aspect for Shohei Otani only yeah. compared to Bryce Harper. Definitely. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to Noah Chanel, you know, the Angels turned that triple play the other night. That was his rookie. Um, that was his rookie uh, major league debut. Yeah. Kyle. Sarah Langs with a tweet uh, uh, five days ago. Noah Chanel is the first player to be part of turning a triple play in his major league debut since Sal Fasano on April 
1996, and that also came from Elias Sports. That's your random stat of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't see the triple play. I knew about the triple play. Um, but yeah, a six four three two a triple play with runners on first and third, and the infield in. This was late in the full game, I think. Wow. Yeah, this was late in the game. <laughs> but yeah. All right, so we'll keep you updated on the aspect of Shohei Otani and this entire Angels team um, as we get to continue to see the 2023 first round pick Noah Chennault, um in the big leagues. I mean, it's not it's not the first time we've seen the Angels go through uh, minor league players to go from uh, drafted to being with the big league team quickly. I mean, we saw it earlier in the year with some of these players, but. Um, this is a definitely a faster route to Major League Baseball. Yep. <laughs> All right, we're gonna move on to the Padres. Some news happening. We mentioned that four nothing win that included Xander Bargarts hitting a big two run homer off Sandy Alcantara, last year's National League Cy Young Award winner. Well, before the eighth inning began, uh, Padres relief pitcher Robert Suarez, um. Was coming out of the bullpen. The second base umpire did a sticky substance check, and they felt his left wrist and said it was too sticky. Um, so he uh, was ejected from the ball game, mm-hmm. and so, um, yeah, the four umpires got together and they said his arm was too sticky. So we had a sticky substance issue yesterday. Um. Robert Suarez can appeal that 10-game suspension. He has to remain on the roster as well. And I'm pretty sure Suarez said yesterday that he was using sunscreen. So, obviously, with it being a day game and Robert Suarez wears um, sleeves, you can see how it's... um, Obviously, that'll get a little bit more sticky, especially after throwing um, a bullpen to get warmed up for his appearance. So, interesting to see yesterday... um, uh, in that eighth inning, Tom Cosgrove had to come in, but still went through uh, the Marlins hitters one, two, three. Man, yeah, that's a definitely odd scenario. It's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if he's going to win this appeal at all. I think, and yeah, that's really the big question here. But I believe he is the fourth pitcher in the league to get ejected this year for sticky substances or suspected yeah. sticky substances. Mm-hmm. Trying to pull up. Um, there was a the Mets reliever with sixty substance. It was earlier in the year. It was Drew Smith. Um, Mingo Herman, right? Yeah, yeah, Dingo Mingo Herman. You had Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, yeah. And those was all April and May. Yeah. And when yeah. Mets relief pitcher, um, Drew. Smith was ejected. Oh, this was in June. Um, he maintained a stickiness that was only a mixture of rosin and sweat. Huh. So it's interesting here. You know, you had rosin and sweat. You had um, with Robert Suarez, it was sunscreen. And I think it was AJ Casavell from MLB.com the Padres beat writer for MLB.com um, he Suarez said, um, or actually the crew chief for that game was Todd Titchener. 
Um, Titchener said that uh, Suarez's wrist was, quote-unquote, too sticky, very sticky, and he was ejected. Oh, my gosh. What a mess. And then, <laughs> yeah. I think it's – when I think about the sticky substances in baseball, I think it's – I think there's still needs some gray – I think there's a lot of gray area to it. I don't think you can yeah. say that you can eject a player just because their hands are too sticky. Right. There's got to be a fine line for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's like that home plate collision rule. Obviously, we've seen that a lot with the Padres this year. Uh, what considers to be home plate collision rule? What defines is that runner being safe versus out? I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of gray area between the home yeah. plate collision rule and the sticky substances. Right. Hmm. And two, when you think about this roster, you know, this is a Bob Melvin has pretty much been working with 25 players on his roster because Matt Carpenter hasn't gotten as much playing time, um, you know, on, on that from that bench because it's been Ben Gamble, it's been um, their players that they brought up in um, like Jose Azokar and Ben Gamble. And so now that Robert Suarez is down, pretty much Bob Melvin has been pretty much working with um, 12 position players and 12, 13 pitchers. Well, now that um, now that Suarez is possibly going to be uh, um, suspended for 10 games, it's going to be 12 and 12. And on top of that, you've got Manny being the DH for the past few games. And so... So many things that Bob Melvin has had to balance, especially over this last week. Adding Robert Suarez to that doesn't help that balance. Yeah, definitely not. Wow. Especially at the back end of your bullpen, where this was a guy that you paid $46 million over the next five years. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know what goes into this investigation or what it's going to take for him to win this appeal. But if he is in the right, and if they find him essentially not guilty of this, then that that's going to be a, a huge boost back to this bullpen because, like you mentioned, you know he, he is so essential to what they're able to accomplish on that back end. You know, leading into Josh Hader that spot there. Um, if if it's not him, like you said, it, it's Cosgrove coming in the game at that point. So um, you got to have that good mix, and Suarez always provides that and. Yeah, I think if he is out for ten games, that's a that's going to be significant impact for this team. You know, that, that's still trying to fight and compete. Yeah, so it's interesting to see, um, you know, what takes place. I think especially in the off season with these kind of gray area rules. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, this is a Padres team. They're playing three games to Milwaukee, then they go to St. Louis to. Uh, couple of NL Central teams um, before coming home to play the Giants and play the Phillies. So uh, plenty of opportunities for this Padres team to still be in the mix of this um, wild and of these wild card standings. The Padres, they're um, six games under 500, but yet they're um, they're still just six games out um, of the wild card with about 35 games up to play, so it's still mathematically possible that this Padres team can get to being um, 
that to being in the card, especially for the opponents that they're playing the rest of the way. Um, you still have Colorado on that schedule. Um, you know, St. Louis is there. So, um, those are two, um, uh, last place teams, um, on that schedule on top of these NL West, uh, NL wildcard teams, um, the rest of the way on that schedule. Yeah, definitely. This is, uh, crunch time for this Padres team. And I, I think these upcoming series are, uh, are crucial to their success for sure going forward. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some NFL. We're going to talk some NBA news on Kobe Bryant on his, pretty much his day, 824. Um, and some of the other stars in the NBA, we're going to talk some football. The, uh, the longest preseason winning streak getting snapped earlier this week. And we're going to talk some trivia as well with Kyle on the block. That's all coming up next here on it down the line. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 115, recording this on Thursday, August 24th, right on the dot of 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the West Coast. I'm Kyle Betts, as always, joined by Brevin Honda. We got into a lot of our first half of this this show, this episode number 115 here. We got into our Fast Five so far gotten to a pair of women's sports in the Women's World Cup. We got into some WNBA with Asia Wilson tying the single game scoring record. We also got into Jim Harbaugh suspension, Little League World Series, and the Tour Championship. Also got into some baseball or three up, three down, some recent news coming out of the league, and also the latest between the Angels and the Padres. Now we're going to get into some basketball news. And, uh, yeah, there's been plenty of it this week, Brevin, with it, you know, despite being, you know, the offseason right now, you got the FIBA World Cup coming up, you got Team USA getting prepared for that. Um, but, you know, regardless from that, uh, aside from that, I should say, we have the Lakers coming out with some news today. Uh, they partnered actually here with a social media post, Brevin, with Vanessa Bryant. And, uh, they uh, posted it at 8.24 a.m. And the post uh, revealed that a Kobe Bryant statue actually will be unveiled on February 8th, 2024. That is 2.8.24 on the calendar when the Purple and Gold hosts the reigning champions, the Denver Nuggets. That game's going to be broadcast on TNT. Uh, obviously, Brevin, today is Mamba Day because it is 824 on the calendar, those being both of Kobe's numbers. Uh, you see also yesterday being uh, his birthday, Kobe uh, would have turned 45. And also, Brevin, the reason that they're uh, unveiling this new statue on 2824 is because uh, not only uh, 8 and 24 being a part of uh, that date, but number two also, that being uh, Gianna Bryant's uh, number when she played basketball. 
Uh, obviously, we all know uh, that uh, she and Kobe unfortunately died in that helicopter crash back in 2020. But uh, still, uh, to see their legacy be felt here through this unveiling of a statue, Brevin, I think it's fantastic. And uh, to hold these numbers in su- such significance, I think it's it's great for the organization to do that. And I think it's cool that they're honoring him in this way. Yeah, I think it's just fitting when you think about, um, you know, even three, three and a half years since um, that plane crash, that helicopter crash, you're still seeing that impact be felt. Um, and we think about all the accolades that Kobe's garnered through over the years, 18-time All-Star, five-time champion, a 15-time All-NBA, 12-time All-Defensive player, uh, All-Defensive team with the MVP in 2008, finals MVP, um, part of the 75th anniversary team. You know, it's uh, fitting when uh, for the Lakers to do that. And it's special, like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. So uh, the eyes will be on uh, TNT. All eyes will be on TNT that night, uh, February 8th, 2024. Also happening in the NBA is, is we are all aware of James Harden, the comments that he made about uh, Philadelphia 76ers president of basketball operations, Daryl Morey. Uh, he called him a liar and said that he will never play for Morey again. Well, for those comments, the NBA fined Harden $100,000 and the NBA Players Association in return has filed a grievance now in response. So uh, you see the the NBPA kind of respond to this saying, you know, we're, we're going to stick up for our player. Um, Revan, what do you think about the decision on the NBA to find Harden here? Do you think he's in the wrong? I think he, you could say he's in the wrong just because of the negative remarks that he said, but I don't know if it's worthy of being penalized. Yeah. Um I I think that's what it is. And you know, this comes after the Sixers wanted to trade James Harden but couldn't find a partner and pretty much had to go through the whole Ben Simmons situation yeah. pretty much all over again when you really think about it. Without the comments. You're totally right about that, Brevin. I think uh that's really what it comes down to here. And so Daryl Morey, I mean being the man that he is, the, the influence that he has in the league, um, he, he's, I think, in return going to stand up for himself. So uh, who knows? Maybe we are going to see Harden trading at some point soon. It, it just depends on the suitor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, currently, uh, thanks for James Harden not looking great, although he was also in the news recently, Brevin, because he sold like $20,000 worth of his wine uh, in China on a live stream or something. So he's probably using some of that money towards his fine. Yeah. It'd be interesting <laughs> to see. I think, too, I wonder what Joel Embiid is thinking about this. Yeah. You know Joel Embiid wants to win a ring, but it doesn't help when you've got these comments going on off the court because you know, it'll ruin, as you see in the dynamic, um, in order to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, jo- Joel Embiid's process is, uh, it has been long gone, but it, I, I think for a lot of people that was hard 
for them to believe. So, uh, yeah, things not going well in Philadelphia in regards to the Sixers right now, and especially this situation with James Harden. So uh, we will definitely let you know what happens next regarding that. Uh, but also moving on now in the NBA too, Brevin, is uh, some podcasts, uh, another podcast uh, hosted by Gilbert Arenas. He actually has his own called Gil's Arena. And so he was recording an episode with Stephen Curry. He was a guest on the show that premiered on Monday. And in that episode, he said that he was the greatest point guard ever uh, in regards to NBA history. Yeah, it was interesting when he said this, because I think the question was first asked, is he's the greatest guard ever of all time? And then Seth Curry said, I think it's more point guard. And I think it comes from, I think it was more of a recency bias of what we've seen and how much Steph Curry has changed his game of basketball, uh, especially over the last five, six years. When you think about players, when you think about especially smaller players playing this game, they're working on their three-pointers constantly. They're working on these cir- horse circus-type shots that you that people watch Steph Curry do on video. They just loop it time after time after time. And so I think there's definitely a case. Now, you know, there's obviously others that... Obviously, Steph Curry's career is not over yet. And there's others that obviously come into consideration, you know, whether it's you know, but magic in that conversation. Yep. Even though Kobe at times played small forward, Kobe's definitely in that conversation as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think really uh it just comes down to ultimately where Curry will end up when his career is said and done. I mean, he's still only thirty five. He could very well play four or five more years you you can imagine uh the way that he takes care of himself it, it's very similar to LeBron and uh obviously he, he's not putting his body through as much as LeBron either with with the way that he shoots but um he can only last so long too at the same time I think that's important to remember so um yeah I mean uh I don't think he's necessarily wrong in saying that he is the GOAT point guard uh, you can make the argument that he is or that he isn't. I think I'm with you on that, Brevin. Obviously, we know he's the three-point king for the most three-pointers yeah. made in NBA history. And um, obviously, getting that finals MVP um, last year definitely helped to that resume. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, I think it'll definitely be an ongoing conversation through the years is Steph Curry once he or until he retires and definitely after that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's not, not a bad take from Curry, obviously, you know, uh, you know, talking about himself and regarding himself as the best ever. Yeah. I I think that's very understandable that that he would say that. Um, But once again, there's other people out there that uh, definitely stand out as well. So, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up in a couple more years and uh, see if he's able to win win another ring or two or uh, continue to garnish just the accolades that we expect him to every year. All right, let's move on now to some NFL here, Brevin. And 
there's actually quite a, a bit that happened over the course of the past week, and not many people pay attention to the preseason, I would say, for the most part. Uh, avid NFL fans such as us, Brevin, we do. Uh, but but um, in, in sports in general, there, there are oftentimes just these, these, these streaks or records that don't mean anything at all, but they exist. And I, I think the stat here exists, Brevin, because it, it, it doesn't really matter that much, but it's it's so rare. And and, and when you think about it, it, it really is hard to accomplish at the same time. Uh, it's the Baltimore Ravens and their preseason record. They entered a game on Monday Night Football on ESPN, uh, playing the Washington Commanders, ultimately losing that game on a last-second field goal from Joey Sly, and that broke their 24-game preseason winning streak. Uh, Brevin, what, what's your reaction to all of that? Yeah, it's amazing when you think about it. 24 games, and two, you think about some of these players that are playing on the Ravens. Yeah. Some of these players, they were just drafted. They're fourth and fifth, uh, fourth and fifth players on the depth chart trying to compete for just a roster spot, let alone a starting role. You know, it's not just Lamar Jackson, you know, every single time. It's not just, um, you know, Justin, you know, obviously Justin Tucker is going to be the only kicker out there for the most part, you know, um, but you know, it's not just um, Mark Andrews. It's not just Omar Jackson. It's like all ninety players on that year's uh, training camp roster. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty hard to imagine, Brevin. Twenty four straight wins. I, I think really that's just a testament to how their coaching staff really just implements certain tactics on these players. I think uh, Jim Harbaugh um, really focuses on technique, for example. And um, that, that's what's always, I should say John Harbaugh, he really focuses on uh, technique, what he's able to um, do in regards to guys who play in the trenches. Um, that's where the game is won. That's his concept. Um, so with with Harbaugh and that team, uh, I, I think with that staff always, you know, uh, you know, putting technique at the forefront, that's important. And obviously, uh, they're so run heavy. That's where they establish that dominance, and they have a great playbook and uh, always so much talent to surround it. So, I mean, honestly, they're a good team. Uh, I don't think that streak will ever be broken. Though. Yeah, last time the Ravens lost a preseason game. Have to go all the way back to September third, two thousand fifteen against the Falcons. Wow! And uh, now the current longest winning streak in the preseason belongs at to the Las Vegas Raiders at six games, six straight wins. Yeah. So four times as much as what the Raiders have to do. You think about roughly that's eight years plus. You know, when you think about playing three, or actually, well, they need 18, so 18 more wins, so that's roughly six seasons, and then if you add a Hall of Fame game, it might be five. Yeah. You know, but you're not playing a Hall of Fame game every single year, so 
you're looking about another six years at minimum before this is possible again. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on now and let's get into more NFL news. And we've all been following the Jonathan Taylor situation as, uh, you know, Jim Ursay made it clear that he, he wasn't available for trade and then he was. Um, now, with, with Taylor still seeking a trade, reports say that six teams are now interested with an August 29th deadline. So we got five days until then, Brevin, and these teams are going to be competing. And at least two teams we know so far have actually made offers for Taylor. We're going to see if the Colts field any of them, uh, accept, accept any of them. Uh, it, it's been reported as well that Ursay, uh, Jim Ursay, the Colts owner, has wanted uh, a first-round pick in return. Yeah, you think about probably one of the biggest teams that could use a actual RB1 on the roster is probably you would say Miami. Yeah. And obviously we've seen Miami. They good, they tried to go after Dalvin Cook. That didn't work. They were in talks to go after Josh Jacobs. That didn't work. So um, it's just a domino effect of which, which team is going to uh, um, say, here you go, Miami. You, you can take this running back. And so... Now it's only time will tell on where Jonathan Taylor goes, but that August 29th deadline tells you so much, not just from an NFL standpoint, but also really a fantasy standpoint. You know, when you think about Jonathan Taylor's value um, in fantasy football, you know, right now we're unclear of what it is. So once we pass that August 29th deadline, I think we'll know for sure if Jonathan Taylor is going to be a Colt or whether he's on a new team and, the, and his value as a fantasy football running back definitely changes. Absolutely. You're completely right about that. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll let you know in our next episode here on Down the Line. All right. Yeah, we'll know next week for sure. Yeah. Let's move on now to San Francisco. Uh, they're a team making some moves, but rather than running back, it, it's actually a quarterback. And, uh, they recently announced Sam Darnold as their backup on the depth chart. That leaves their top draft pick from a few years ago, Trey Lance, as the third quarterback now on the roster. I believe he's starting his uh, the Niners' final preseason game this weekend. So we'll see how he does in that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's not a good situation there for Trey Lance. Not really. I mean... I mean, the, the Niners drafted a quarterback, I think it was fifth overall in 2018, to then be their third quarterback on the roster five years later when yet your starting quarterback in Brock Purdy was the last pick in the draft last year and is the starting QB. <laughs> Does yeah. that make any sense? Yeah. Oh, and you also traded away uh, Tom Brady's backup to the Las Vegas Raiders. One of your rivals. Yeah. Trey Lance, uh, even even sooner, Brevin, he was actually the number three pick in the 2021 draft. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh, that's Just right. Just a couple years ago. So that that puts things in even more perspective than, uh, like, a, a two-year difference. And now this is happening. Not not even two years, actually. It's, it's more like, what, six months? Yeah, mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's pretty astounding here, Brevin. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about it. How much, um, how much, you know, what it means, you know, just, I think it's also on the scouting part, um, too, when you think about that much. Obviously, that fifth round pick in 2018 is Bradley Chubb, but obviously, how much different that was. But it just tells you how much of what that means, you know, and, you know, whether you're the, whether you're, you know, a top pick in, tw- in 2021, or you're the last pick. Um, last year, you still have some sort of value, and it all depends on what you do on the football field. And it showed last year. Brock Purdy, you know, being able to control this offense with superstars of Christian McCaffrey, Steve Samuel, uh, Brandon Ayuk, um, George Kittle, on top of having that good of a defense and helping you get victories one after another. It's going to lead to um, being on the field, and Trey Lance really hasn't, whether it's had that opportunity or just hasn't showed it, that's what it's led to, being that QB3 on the depth chart. Definitely, Roman. I totally agree with that. And here's a stat from Spot Track that I found interesting. The Niners play, uh, they paid Trey Lance $27.85 million for only 262 regular season snaps. And they traded three first round picks to move up and take him third overall. So some mismanagement there with Trey Lance. The whole situation. Mm-hmm. How you think about that top, the first 10 picks of the NFL draft two years ago. Obviously, you had Trevor Lawrence at number one, Zach Wilson, two, yeah. the Jets, and you had trailers. Kyle Pitts was four in Atlanta at tight end. Yep. Um, you had Jamar Chase at five with the Bengals reuniting with, um, Joe Burrow, you had Jalen Waddle six, first lineman at Penny Sewell at seven with the Lions. You get J.C. Horn at eight with the Carolina Panthers, Patrick Sertan at nine, and Devontae Smith at ten. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and the next pick after that was Justin Fields at quarterback. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So... There you go. I mean, it, it just puts that draft into perspective, and you compare that to other drafts, and uh, some were a lot different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you had Mac Jones at 15. Yeah. <laughs> with Micah Parsons and Rashawn Slater, 12 and 13. So <laughs> it's some a mil- pl- yes. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just some picks are. Showing you two years later that they're doing really well and some aren't doing as well, such yep. as this Trey Lance pick. Definitely. All right, let's mm-hmm. move now to uh, talking some wide receivers here. And firstly, let's get to Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy. He was parted off from practice today with a hamstring injury. It's not known how much time he is supposed to miss, but... Uh, reports from NFL Network say that his week one status is uh, up in the air and he is expected to miss multiple weeks. Uh, like I mentioned, we don't know 
exactly how many multiple means, but uh, if I had to guess, he's probably going to miss week one. Yeah, I would say so. You went first. The only notification I saw about Jerry Judy was that he was just carted off in practice today. Yep. And I was like, all right, I don't know what that level means because we saw last year when last year or two years ago, we saw DK Metcalf get carted off the field and all it was to use the bathroom. Yep. So <laughs> you see this new young generation of wide receivers and, and skill players uh, use the cart differently here, I should say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Man, do you think about this wide receivers for home? From the Broncos? You got Cortland Sutton. Is Kyle, is there anybody else left in that wide receivers room in Denver? Yeah, there's the rookie Marvin Mims. He, he's expected to be pretty good. Uh, okay. Beyond that, it's looking like it's going to be the likes of maybe Kendall Hinton. You got Lil Jordan Humphrey. All right. And you've got Marquez Calloway. Wow. All right. You got a couple of former Saints in there, and you got the longtime Bronco, uh, Kendall Hinton. I would have said Jalen Virgil might have had a shot, but he just uh, hurt himself badly in, in the last preseason game. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he hurt, but I think he's expected to be out a, a significant amount of time. So that was unfortunate as well. Um, yeah, I would say probably between those three, it, if I had to take one of those three, I, I would probably take Marquez Callaway. But yeah, so. yeah this, this wide receiver room is is definitely not looking as strong as as it once did, and uh, that's especially after the loss of, of Tim Patrick and KJ Hammer. Oh. Mm-hmm. And when you think about teams, you know, you're just having both Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. You know, whether it's next to each other or on both sides, that's just his effect. But now that Jerry Judy's, you know, getting injured, I don't know how much that helps, you know, uh, Cortland Sutton against opposing defenses, against their top, um, defense's top cornerback or safety. Definitely. So we'll let you know exactly how long Jerry Judy is out next week once we get some more updates on him, but uh, the other wide receiver we're going to talk about right now here real quickly is New York Jets uh, pass catcher Corey Davis. Expected to have somewhat of a significant role here on this Jets team entering his seventh year in the NFL, and and things look to be, you know, a little bit better now with Aaron Rodgers there. They brought in Randall Cobb, Alan Lazar, uh, a couple more weapons on offense, obviously. You got Dalvin Cook as well, but uh, here you see Corey Davis retire actually from the NFL after six years, and he spent uh most of those uh between actually he spent them I think pretty much between the, the Titans and the Jets, but um yeah it, it's uh definitely a little bit of a surprise here Brevin because uh he he didn't really give a reason as to why he retired. Yeah, you think about Corey Davis playing six years in the NFL. Um, maybe, it, you know, former top five draft pick as well, um, in, by the Titans in 2017. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is he knew that he just didn't have a role, um, on this roster, whether it's knowing that you had Garrett Wilson, um, in addition to the newcomers from Green Bay, 
um, that possibly had um, was part of that too. So um, who knows? Maybe the Broncos will try and convince uh, Corey Davis to unretire. Maybe, man, at this point. Uh, they need all the help they can get uh, at this rate. But you talk about Corey Davis, Brevin. I mean, a, a personal moment I have with uh, Corey Davis as an NFL fan, um, it, it's discovering him kind of on the waiver wire, I would say, and picking him up in, back in 2018 when, when he really burst on the scene. Uh, he had eight, 891 yards that year, 65 catches, four touchdowns. Um that was when he really broke out, and he never reached the 1,000-yard plateau, but he came close back in 2020 with the Titans. Um, on the Jets, like you mentioned, uh, he, he he had his role, but uh, didn't contribute as much as uh, we really expected him to after uh, once being the Division One leader uh, in career receiving yards at Western Michigan. Is this anything similar, you know, when we think about wide receivers not really panning out with the Jets? Could you say this is similar to what happened with Elijah Moore now with the Browns? Yeah, I think that's fair to say that. That's yeah. definitely fair. Same kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think absolutely. And, uh, Brevin, I, I think you brought up a good point that I kind of want to get into. I mean, now with, with you know, the Broncos losing Judy perhaps for some time and, and they might want to have some depth regardless. Uh, the Jets might want to add a little bit more depth to their wide receiver room now with uh, Corey Davis going elsewhere. Um, I kind of want to take a look at uh, some of the available free agents right now in the NFL in regards to wide receivers. Uh, some names that really stand out to me right here, uh, Kenny Galladay, you got Julio Jones, Jarvis Landry, Sammy Watkins, Quintez Cephas is on that list as well. You got guys like T.Y. Hilton, uh, still looking for an opportunity. Kiki Kuti, Antonio Callaway, um, James Washington, among the likes of others. Brian Edwards is still a name on there too. So, uh, still some guys on here that are, that are looking for an opportunity and, uh, we could see them get picked up potentially here, uh, now that, uh, more guys are, are getting injured as, uh, preseason continues. And I, I think we'll still see, uh, that happen in the regular season. Yeah, it's just depth, you know, depth at that wide receiver position is so key, especially when you're running three, three wide receiver sets most of the time. Sometimes it might even be four, depending on, you know, a certain play. So, you know, and you run about 16, three wide receiver, 16, three wide receiver sets, you know, you're going to need, um, you know, you're going to need three men on the field at least 18 times. So that's just part of the depth that goes into that position, you know, in the NFL. Definitely. And uh, we, we brought up how Corey Davis was a four-year Titan in his career. Well, a new Titan, a first-year Titan, Will Levis, one of their draft picks. Uh, he's obviously a quarterback from the University of Kentucky. Well, um, Brevin, did, did you see back last year, uh, his connection to mayonnaise? I think it's because I'm going to take a random guess here. Did, did Will Levis play in the Duke's mailable? That's actually a really good guess. 
But that is not the reason. So, oh darn! Nope. Then I didn't hear about this. So, I'll get to that in a second. So, yesterday, um, Will Levis had a mock press conference with Hellman's Mayonnaise Company, and behind him there there were probably like hundreds of of tubs of mayonnaise, and he's answering questions. And while he does that, he has a bottle of this this uh, Hellman's, Hellman's mayonnaise right next to him. And so he's answering this question. Uh, he, he gets a cup of coffee. He puts mayo in that coffee, stirs it up, and drinks it. Jeez. And then later, later in, in this press conference, he gets a muffin. And I don't know what kind of muffin it is. It kind of looks like maybe cornbread or something. But... He gets a muffin, he puts mayo on top, and he eats it. And nice. so, do you know why all that is? No, but going through college and going through early parts of the NFL, I could see it happening, and I'm trying to just envision it, but it makes no sense, but keep going. Okay, well, the reason why that all is because last year he went viral because he was filmed uh, drinking a cup of coffee and he put mayo in it and he start, he stirred it up and he drank it. Did he think it was coffee cream? I guess so. So <laughs> uh, clearly that's resonated and, and that's why it was a part of his mock press conference with Hellman's Mayo yesterday. Oh, that's lovely. So, oh my gosh. So, so now, as a result of this new partnership between Will Levis and uh, Hellman's, he is now receiving a lifetime supply of Hellman's mayonnaise. Oh, great. So, because of this sponsorship, this is also required for him to play, so he's going to start over Anthony Richardson? No, I'm kidding. You mean Malik Willis? <laughs> oh, yeah, Malik Willis. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> Hundred percent at this rate, right? You would think he's got the advantage. He's got oh, he's already got a, a lifetime endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Oh my god. Um and also too, uh I don't know if, if there's anything in, in store next for him, perhaps with a, a fruit brand or something, or a distributor, uh maybe Dole, something like that. But uh Will Levis also uh, in addition to his odd uh, blend of mayo and coffee, uh, he has also been filmed, and also this went viral, uh, of him eating a banana with the peel on. Oh. So maybe there's a, an, another commercial that we're going to see there, or, or maybe another press conference with someone. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I wonder how Ryan Tannehill feels about all this. The veteran QB in Tennessee. (laughs) Seeing all this unfold while uh, Levis takes his spot. Yeah, I wonder how proud he is of his his third quarterback on the depth chart. Mm -hmm. Having a Mayo sponsorship and possibly fruit. Yep, there you go. So Mike Vavril is probably getting a kick out of it. Yeah, definitely. The team probably making fun of him for sure. Oh my gosh, that 
And he's a rookie. Yeah, he's definitely having teammates are definitely having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to get into some uh, trivia here, Brevin? Yeah, it's fantasy football season, Kyle. Um, I know you've done a couple of drafts already. You did a a eight hour per pick dynasty league draft that took uh one week, right? Week, yep. Yeah, you did a twelve team PPR, which I'm guessing took a lot quicker than one week. Yeah, about a couple hours or so. Okay. Um, as you know, we're getting set for our fantasy football league that we're going to be in. Um, so Kyle, with that being on ESPN, we're going to look at the live draft trends. Uh, I want you to tell me the top 15 players based on average draft position in snake drafts. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Mm hmm. All right, let's start here with Justin Jefferson. There you go. Justin Jefferson, the number one pick, average draft selection of one and a half. And I'm pretty sure the first consensus wide receiver or first consensus player to be a wide receiver, I think in like 10 years and just the second in the last 20. Yep, I have him. I have to look over that stat one more time. Yeah, I have him in that 12-team PPR league. I took him first overall, so mm-hmm. that's where I went there. Kyle's one for one. Uh, well, from here on out, really, you could you could go anywhere, any direction, but really. You can. With these next few picks. Uh, Austin Eckler's got to be one of them. Yes, Austin Eckler on ESPN. Average pick selection of 4.8. That's fourth um, on ESPN. There you go. So he's always up there. Um. Mm-hmm. You could also go with someone like Tyreek Hill right here. Yep, Tyreek Hill, average draft selection, 7.2. That is six. Yep, he's always up there, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also go for someone like Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, down at number 12. Average selection of 12.7 has gone up. Within the last seven days, of one point three um, draft slots. Yeah, I wouldn't take him. That, I wouldn't take him as high as I rank him, but I knew he was. He would be within the top fifteen. Um. Well, a clear and obvious pick too here is Travis Kelsey as well. Mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey going five point six. It's hard to imagine Travis Kelsey. You know, we're used to seeing Travis Kelsey maybe the back half of the first round of a 10-team league. Yeah. But he's going fifth as the fifth overall pick. Wow. That's a good selection there, Kyle. Thank you, thank you. Okay. Um, Man. Let's go with A.J. Brown here. AJ Brown, Kyle, is 18th. Really? Yes. Wow. I would have expected him to have been like 13th or 14th. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's my first miss. Yeah, but it doesn't help when you've got a tight end there at number five and Travis Kelsey. And yeah, 
players such as Travis Kelsey. Let's go with uh, Christian McCaffrey here. There you go. Christian McCaffrey, number three. Average draft selection of 4.4. There you go. Uh, I think it varies on the draft. And this is kind of hard to tell. But, I mean, with the season that he had, I think he has to be on this list. I'm going to go with Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs is not um, among the top 15. He is one spot below A.J. Brown at 19. Wow, okay. All right. This draft section 20.1. Wow. All right, this is another risky guy here, but what about Jonathan Taylor? Jonathan Taylor? Uh, he's also lower. He's 28, wow. uh, the 26th ranked player in terms of average draft position at 28.9. So all the way at the back end of the third round in 10 team leagues. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, I didn't think he was down that far. All right, let's go for some more obvious running backs here. Let's go for Saquon. Saquon Barkley, there you go. Number nine, ninth uh, best draft position at 11.3. Okay, there we go. Um... All right. Uh, how about a wide receiver here? Let's go for C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb, unfortunately, Kyle. Oh. He's number 16. Man. That hurts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Tough one. Um, I don't know if he's going to be on this list. I think he's going to be close, but I'm going to go with his teammate and counterpart. I'm going to go with Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard, Kyle? 17. He just makes the list at number 15. There we go. <laughs> 15 and a half. His average draft position on ESPN has actually gone up uh, 1.6 slots. CD Lamb has dropped uh, a half of one uh, half a slot at 16.8. Wow. That's that's surprising. I guess paid off. All right, there we go. Hmm. All right. So how who, how many have I got so far? So let's see. You got Justin Jefferson. You get. Uh, you mentioned. Um, Austin Eckler. Uh, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, uh, Saquon Barkley, Devontae Adams, Tony Pollard. Uh, yeah, that's what I have so far. Three, six, eight. Eight. Okay. Um, Five. All right. What about Jalen Waddle? Jalen Waddle. We do not have two wide receivers from the same team as Jalen Waddle is 23rd at 27.2. That's a good guess, though, Kyle. That's crazy. Um, all right, well, let me think about it here. Um, this could be close here too, but what about Keenan Allen? Keenan Allen, you would think he'd be up there with the volume, but Keenan Allen is all the way down at 43.3, which is 39th overall. Yeah, probably because of the injuries. Mm -hmm. Injuries. Not sure what to expect with Callum Moore as a new OC. Um, The other wide receivers around him include Calvin Ridley and Debo Samuel. 
Oh. And Amari Cooper's right behind him. All right. What about DK Metcalf? DK Metcalf. That is another good selection, but he is DK Metcalf is not. DK Metcalf 24th overall at an average draft position of 27.3. 24th? That's ridiculous. All right. What yeah. about Derek Henry? Mm-hmm. Derek Henry, there you go. 11.6. That's good for 10th overall. I took Derek Henry last night in a 10 team PPR late at 9th overall. Nice. How about Amon Ross St. Brown? He's got to be close. Yeah, you would think so. But unfortunately, Kyle, Amon Ross St. Brown is not among the top 15. Average draft position 21.8, 21st overall. I did take him. I have the number 12 pick uh, in my draft. Mm-hmm. All right. What about Stefan Diggs? There you go. Stefan Diggs, number 11. I was planning on taking Stefan Diggs, but went the pick before me uh-huh. um, to open the second round. But Stefan Diggs right now, 12 and a half um, uh, is average draft position. Good for 11th. Interesting. Okay. Um,. All right, now we're getting a little more tough here. What about Najee Harris? Najee Harris, Kyle? He's going to be like 13th is my guess. 33rd overall. 33rd? Yes. Wow. So I guess that's because uh-huh. the is uh, only improving steadily, but still. Wow, okay. Um... Wow. Uh, how about Nick Chubb? Nick Chubb. There you go. Nick Chubb is number 14 wow. overall, just inside that line above Tony Pollard at 14.8 for his average draft position. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right. How about Jamar Chase? Jamar Chase. There you go. Number two, just behind Justin Jefferson. Average draft selection, just 3.1. Wow. I should have gotten a lot. Three more players. Three more? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, This is getting tough. Um, Yep. Aaron Jones? Aaron Jones? That one is incorrect. You would think with how well Aaron Jones has done, average draft position, 35.6. Wow. All right, how about Pat Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes, Kyle? The big reason why C.D. Lamb is not among the top 15 is because Patrick Mahomes is there at 13. Wow. Average draft position at 14. Wow. Let's go. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't. Now we're at 12 copies. Three more left. I had no idea. Um, All right. Three more players. All right. How about hmm, those guys? Trying to think right now. This I don't know about this offense. This is just kind of a wild guess. Uh, what about DJ Moore? DJ Moore, 
That is incorrect. DJ Moore is all the way down. I think I got to go to a second page. DJ Moore is average draft position, Kyle. He's a value according to your to your list. 65.8 going 57th overall. Wow. That's a value there, Kyle. Yeah, that is. Dude. Wow. I mean, that was just kind of a wild guess. I, I wasn't sure, but how about Damian Pierce? Damian Pierce? No. Damian Pierce? I think he's another uh, 52.7 ADP for 47. Wow. 47. Uh, you need two running backs and a receiver. Two running backs and a receiver. Joe Mixon? No. Um, running backs. Uh, among the top 15 at 27.8 for his ADP. Ooh. I said Eckler already, right? Yes, you said Eckler. Okay. Um, man, I'm struggling. I've gone through like every division, I think, and maybe I'm just missing guys. Um, Who's the lion? Is Jameer Gibbs uh, on this list? Jameer Gibbs is not a top fifteen play. He's right now thirty seventh. Okay, I wasn't. That was a wild guess. I think maybe if David Montgomery was not there, maybe. Yeah. But no. Yeah, I forget Montgomery's there. Uh. Uh, Kenneth Walker? Kenneth Walker, that is a no. Uh, man. Oh, Bijan. There you go. Bijan Robinson, there you go, is going the rookie running back. Pick eighth overall in the NFL draft, going eighth in fantasy picks. Uh, average draft position 10.5. Nice. Okay. Um, Kyle, think NFC West. NFC West. For running back and wide receiver. Oh, Cooper Cup. There you go. Cooper Cup is seventh. Uh, average pick, 8.4. There we go. All right. And running back? Yeah. Oh, NFC West? Yes. Oh, Cam Makers? Nope. I was going to say, no way. James Conner? Nope. I already said McCaffrey, right? Uh, I don't think you did. Oh, oh really? Are you, maybe you did, and I just probably forgot about it. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think I did, yeah. Did you say McCaffrey? Okay. Yeah, I think but so. yeah, it's Christian McCaffrey. Nice. There we go. Yeah, you're all. Awesome. Okay, so yeah. Uh-huh. Cooper, the Rams was the one team I forgot until the uh-huh. game, until you had to tell me. I couldn't quite remember if you had Christian McCaffrey, so I was like, did he get it? Did he not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're all so, good. 
Um, top 15, you get Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Then you get a couple of running backs in Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, followed by Travis Kelsey. Then you get another couple of running backs in Tyreek Hill and Cooper Cup. And then you get a trio of running backs rounded out the top 10 in Bijan Robinson, Saquon Barkley, and Derek Henry. Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams are 11 and 12, followed by Patrick Mahomes at 13. Nick Chubb and Tony Pollard round out the top 15 uh, uh, at that uh, with the two running backs. There you go. Solid. I mentioned CJ Lamb, he's 16. Garrett Wilson, 17. Uh, I mentioned AJ Brown at 18. Josh Allen is 20. And Jalen Hurts is 22 in terms of their rank. Cool. So that is a look at the current live draft trends among ESPN Fantasy Football. Kyle and I were getting set for our Fantasy League, which will happen within the next couple of weeks before week one of the NFL season, nearly two weeks from today. So that's going to do it for us here on it down the line this week, episode number 115 in the books. Um, for Kyle Betts, I'm Brad Hunter. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you listen next week.